Let me take you on a quick journey over the last year, what the Lord's been focusing in on, what leads us up to this point today. In the fall of 2020, started preaching and teaching what was on my heart. Multiple people were sharing during that time about preparation and trials and suffering and perseverance and Joseph's life and Jacob's life. And we talked about Paul's missionary journey and, and, the, and the suffering that went on there. There's all this preparation talk about that. Well, we moved into the winter of this last year and I and multiple people started talking about rejoicing in suffering and actually delighting in persecutions and afflictions. We talked about how worry was a sin and anxiety was a sin. We spent a few weeks on that here. Well, we move into the spring of this year, the spring of 21, and the focus started to be on Jesus and who he is. And one week we talked about, we proclaim him. We don't proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus. And we talked about how do you see Jesus according to the flesh or according to the spirit and how his biological family members saw him according to the flesh until they got a visitation. And they recognized him according to the spirit. Well, then we kick off these multiple weeks of talking about unity and community. And, and I remember Terry talking about this John 17 prayer and the Lord's fulfillment of it. We talked about being encouraged in heart and being united in love. And, and Brian shared with us about being protected from offense. Unity, unity, unity for a, a several weeks there. In the summer, we move into this dual teaching on prayer and purity of heart. It's prayer and more prayer and purity of heart and what the Lord was doing. And then at the end of this summer in August, we started talking about knowing the Holy Spirit. We talked about the gift of praying in tongues and this prayer language that we have according to the scriptures and how we know the Lord more deeply in that. We talked about his presence returning like the Ark of the Covenant, coming back here. Well, then just in this fall, we've kind of ended up going into the wintertime. We've been talking about the end of all human strength. We talked about Paul's shipwreck and what happened and how he had to give up. We talked about another week, not leaning on our own understanding because it always gives us crooked paths, but acknowledging the Lord in all of our ways leads to straight paths. I like to do this every once in a while. I did it at the beginning of 2021. I look to look back because we don't really think about the, the weaving together of the words the Lord's doing week to week, but he is speaking. Amen? The Lord is speaking to us. And so this, these have been the topics. Well, in this last season, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, Doc and I have been praying together about the focus on the prophetic and how the Lord was really lifting us, this up in this season. And I didn't really know why or what, but I believe it's really essential for us to really listen in as to what the Lord's saying in the prophetic. If you know a lot about it, or if you know a little about it, I believe the Lord is really emphasizing this in the season right now. And so I wanted to recap for you what brings us up to this point. As a reminder... This last week, or two weeks ago, I shared with you the, the headwaters of the prophetic and some of the controversy that has always surrounded that. And if you remember, Numbers 11 was the first time that prophecy was mentioned in the scripture. And Numbers 11, if you recall, is where the Lord said, gather some of the leaders, some of the shepherds in Israel, and I will come down and I'll meet with you and I'll take some of the spirit that's on you, Moses, and I'll put it on them. And so the Lord came down and met with these 70 leaders there 
And they started prophesying. But what happened was Eldad and Medad were outside of the camp. They weren't part of the leaders that were there. And they started prophesying. And so Joshua actually shouted out to Moses and said, it's out of order. Stop Eldad and Medad from prophesying. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Because it's outside of the box that you've given us. And Moses said, relax. And what was Moses' famous prophecy as the greatest prophet in the Old Testament? Moses said, would it be that all of God's children were prophets and that his spirit would rest on them. Well, then that was fulfilled in Joel's prophecy in Joel 2, that that's exactly what was going to happen in the last days. And then it was fulfilled finally in Acts chapter 2, when the spirit is poured out and the Lord puts his stamp on the church and says, they're prophets. Every one of them can prophesy. I'm pouring out my spirit in these last days and on all of my sons and daughters, men servants, maid servants, all of them will prophesy from old to young like. Well, it's our identification. I want to have Luke talk about this this next week. Our identification as a prophetic people, and that's okay. But listen to me, the controversy that started in Numbers 11 is the controversy that we're dealing with right now, today. Prophetic's too messy. There's too many wrong words, too many people get disillusioned, so we've got to stop, or at least we've got to take a step back away from it. And I tell you, it's a work of the enemy that keeps us from prophesying, because it is the greatest gift, it says, for building up the church. And these few examples I just gave you with people speaking are an example of what it does to set us free from years sometimes of being bottled up. The prophetic is a profound and beautiful gift that builds up the church, which makes tons of sense to me why there'd be a ton of warfare against it. By the way, there's not warfare against this from unbelievers and heathens. There's warfare in religious systems in the church right now. This is what Jesus had to deal with. This is what Paul had to deal with. So I'm telling you, there's, there's an attack and it comes from our minds on what the Lord's doing here. And I wanna encourage you. That's why I'm so blessed by my brother today. It takes a step of faith to believe into this. It's easier to say, it's, 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 let's just leave it in the past where it's safe. But we wanna bring it into today because that's what the Lord is doing. So, remember with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse one. About the gifts of the Spirit, Paul's addressing this question here for the Corinthian church. I do not want you, church, to be uninformed or unaware or ignorant or not understanding. Now, about giftings in the church, saints, Paul says, don't, I don't want you to be ignorant or I don't want you to have a lack of understanding about this. It's very important to Paul that the church understands that the Spirit has given gifts for the church for what? To build up individuals and make them look successful and popular? No, no, no. What are gifts given to the church for? For the common good. For the edification of the church. Gifts are given so that the church is built up into who, everybody? Yeah, Christ Jesus. I'm actually, Melinda Shaw actually knows Jesus's heart in a deeper way because of a gift that was given to her a week or two ago. Yeah? My daughter Harper has had a moment in time where she knows the Lord Jesus' heart in a deeper way because a gift was given. Well, I get the same gift given to me when someone encourages me 
or when someone comes and serves me. My parking brake light is on in my truck and won't stop dinging if anybody wants to serve me. Please. <laughs> I am blessed when someone provides a teaching from the scripture. I, I, I know the Lord's heart in a deep way. Well, the gifts are given as the Spirit has apportioned them. Each one of us has different giftings so that the body of Christ would be built up. So the gifts, if you remember, were given at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 1. You've received all kinds of gifts and graces in Christ Jesus, but they weren't being stewarded terribly well, were they? So what that means is we can have all the giftings in the world and be acting in a carnal, immature, infant-like way. And that's not cool. What Paul says is you guys have elevated the giftings above love, and it's exactly the opposite. Because you could prophesy, and you're just a clanging symbol. You can raise the dead. It doesn't mean anything if you don't have love. So what Paul is saying is, the gifts are super important, and we're going to focus on that. But first, in 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to show you the more excellent way. What way is that, everybody? Rhymes with dove. Love. If you don't have love, it doesn't matter what kind of giftings you have. By the way, you could be super gifted and give accurate prophetic words and be cheating on your wife. That's why it's really confusing for the church. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. It's like, how could that guy be so anointed and yet he's cheating over here on this side? Well, it's because the gifts don't have to be stewarded by super moral people. They could be stewarded by mess-ups and failures. So Paul's like, we want to get first things first. We'll focus on the gifts, but man, let's focus on love and character, right? Character. That's what I want. Character first. So it says at the end of 1 Corinthians 14, Andy mentioned this earlier, I want you all to be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues. And that word eager is fascinating to me. It means to desire earnestly, to burn or boil with zeal to prophesy or to strive after or to lean into this gifting. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with being eager and burning and desiring this higher gift, this excellent gift of prophecy? Now, again, I could focus on all the other gifts. We focused on other things in the past and the future, but right now today, we're focusing on this one. How are you doing with that? In your mind, are you actually desiring more of that or less of that? Are you longing for the Lord? Are you longing to hear his voice? Are you like, I'm good. I don't need any more of that. Are you eagerly seeking that out among your brothers and sisters? Like, pray over me. I, I would like you to minister to me. I'm listening. Or are you like, I don't need that? It's an honest question. And I just want us to be obedient to this word because I'm telling you, the Lord has so much more for the church if we will say yes to this. So much more. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and pastors and teachers given to the body of Christ to build them up, to equip them for works of service. Each one, this is super important. Right now, I'm prophesying to you guys. I'm telling you, this is one of the five. This is one of them. Now, we've got evangelists in here. We have, we have teachers in here. All of those are good. And I want more of all of that. But I'm telling you right now, the focus in on the Spirit is prophecy as it builds you up in your holy faith and breaks things off. 
I believe, and this has happened in my life and Lizzie's life and our marriage, more can get done in one moment from the Holy Spirit, yes? Than in two or three or five years of trying and efforting. I can get broke free from a stronghold. I can have a spirit of slavery replaced by my identification as a son in a moment with a prophetic word. I was talking to Thomas Kallenberg last night. That was his experience. He got permission to prophesy, and it almost was just a, 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 an unsupernaturally natural type thing that just happened. It just set him free. So there's more of that for us. Has the Lord spoken in his holy scriptures once and for all, closed canon, yes or no? Absolutely he has. It's true. There's nothing to add to that. Does the Lord still speak today? Absolutely, because the Lord is living and he's good and he's so gentle and he remembers us. He remembers us. Oh, that we would not shut down the voice of the Lord today, that we would not do that. And we would be found as a people pressing in for more. So that's a recap of this last year and a sermon from a couple of weeks ago. And I left off a couple of weeks ago with the beginnings. I talked about the headwaters and the controversy, and then I led up and I left off here. Prophecy starts with listening. And I want to jump right off from that point. The beginning of learning to prophesy is to learn to listen. And you remember, I said that obedient comes from the Latin word audier, which means listen. Audier means obedience and listening. It, it's, if I'm going to listen, I'm going to obey. Yeah, parents with kids, right? Listen to me. Be obedient, right? Two ears, one mouth, shut your mouth and listen to what I'm telling you right now. Do what I'm telling you. I'm smarter than you right now. <laughs> Love you. So Isaiah 50, if you'd go there with me. I love Isaiah 54, 50 verse 4 and 5. I love it, love it, love it. Never seen this until this week. I believe this is a good word for us for understanding the beginning of how to prophesy. Isaiah 50 verse 4. The sovereign Lord, or Adonai, has given me, and this is the Lord's servant. This is speaking of the Messiah, Christ Jesus here, prophetically. The Lord Jesus has given me a well-instructed tongue or the tongue of a disciple, or the tongue of a learner. Why? So to know, or to learn, or to perceive, or understand a word in season that sustains the weary. The Lord has given me, Isaiah says, prophetically speaking about Jesus, prophetically speaking about his people, us. He's given me a well-instructed tongue, or the tongue of a disciple. Why? so that I could use that tongue and I could speak a word in season that would sustain the weary, that actually builds them up and strengthens, encourages, and comforts them. How do I get that well-instructed tongue? Well, it starts with this. He awakens me morning by morning, or he awakens, or he stirs up, or he rouses my ear to hear or obey or delight to pay attention like one who is being instructed or like one who is a disciple or a learner. So 
the sovereign Lord has opened my ear. He awakens my ear in verse four. And now in verse five, he's opening my ears and I've not been rebellious and I've not turned away. So walk through me with this passage. If, if you would walk through this passage with me. The sovereign Lord says, I want well-instructed tongues of my servants, Isaiah and Jesus here and his people. And what I want them to do is I want them, grace is poured on Jesus' lips so that he can sustain the weary. But you can't do that unless your ear is woke up every morning and unless your ear is listening like one being instructed. If you listen to the voice of the Lord, then you can accurately and be a help to people in speaking a word that breaks the yoke and lifts burdens off of them. Right after this, it says, the Lord has opened my ears. And that's an Exodus 21 reference where you've heard this before. A servant who was serving his master in slavery gets to the end of six years and he has the choice. Do I love my master and want to stay with him or do I want to take my freedom? And if he loves his master and he says, I want to stay here, then they take his ear and put it to the doorpost and they put an awl through his ear and they carve a hole in it. And it's a sign of life long servitude to the master, but not out of obligation or fear, it's out of love. And so the Lord Jesus gave himself out of love to the Lord, his father, and said, here, I'm your servant. I've not been rebellious or turned away. It says after this, he was beaten, he was flogged, and he was bruised, but his ear was opened as a disciple. Well, before my ear can be opened, my ear has to be awakened, actually. And then I can speak a word that sustains the weary. So all this to say is that speak, Lord, your servant is listening, is the posture of our hearts as believers, as Samuel said in the temple. Without hearing his voice, we're not able to walk forward in the gift of prophecy. Amen? Okay. What does the Lord's voice sound like? Well... John 10, I think, is really helpful for us. You guys know this famous passage. John 10, Jesus calls himself the good what? Shepherd. And he says in verse 3, the gatekeeper opens the gate for the shepherd. And the sheep, that's you and me, listen to his voice. So we got the voice of a shepherd. Verse four, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of him and his sheep follow him because they know or recognize his voice. So we start with listening and then we start with following and staying in step with him. And then in verse five, it says, they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they don't recognize the stranger's voice. So, this listening that turns into following turns into protection from strange voices. And so I said a couple of weeks ago, the number one confusing part about prophecy is, is it my voice? Is it God's voice? Or is it the devil's voice? And it takes discernment to know the difference. By the way, the number one way we can understand his voice is to know the precious word of God. Because anything spoken in a sideways fashion to this is not his voice, amen? The Holy Spirit speaks according to his word. This is the Lord's written word, and this is the logos that we take in so that we might know how to release that word, that instant rhema in season. So 
God's voice sounds like a shepherd. We're all able to listen and to hear and to understand. Proverbs 1, let the wise listen and add to their learning. There is a, a call for us to open our ears and say, Lord, awaken my ear to know what you're saying. How many believe God is speaking more than you are listening? Say, oh my. That's a, that's a Sam McVeigh thing to do right there. <laughs> oh my, meaning, oh, the Lord has been speaking this whole time and I've just had cotton in my, I'm not listening. And when I really press in, I'm like, oh, he has opinions about everything. He really does. He really cares. He's so gentle. Little girls, he cares about their heart up in a tree and he speaks to them publicly. He really cares. I don't know how he can do it, but he does it. And there's more for us if we listen. There's more for us if we listen, guys. So we want to lean into that. What does the Lord's voice sound like? Well, we know it's a shepherd's voice, and we know God speaks in loving conviction. Yeah? God speaks in loving conviction to us. He always speaks, secondly, according to the language of Scripture. Remember the transfiguration in Matthew 17? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Well, that's straight out of the Old Testament. Today I've called you my son. You're very pleasing in my sight. You must listen to the prophet I send before you. He says to Moses, the Lord speaks from scripture because he wrote scripture and he put it all in there for us. So his voice is always in a line with that. And then thirdly, God always speaks, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 3, for our edification, exhortation, and consolation. For our building up, for our encouragement, and our comfort. Every time. Even conviction of sin, where he's like, I'm so, I love you so much, we got to let this go. It's hurting you. I love you so much, let me take this out of your hand. Just get it out. Just confess it. Let it go. He's doing that to build us up inside, because sin makes us weak. So actually, a convicting word comes so that we might be strengthened in our inner man. Well, that's what the shepherd's voice sound like. What does a stranger's voice sound like? I'm sure you could all tell me, but I bet it would sound like condemning accusation. Kind of a heavy word with some religion wrapped up in it. If you just love Jesus more and would just do what you know you're supposed to do, but you never will, will you? You never will. He stands at the right side, the strong side of Joshua, the high priest in Zechariah 3, to, what, to do what to him? To accuse him and to condemn him. And the Lord says, no, no, he's mine. He's a brand plucked from the fire. Take off his dirty clothes, put a clean robe on him and a turban on his head. We're going to speak to who he really is in Christ Jesus. That's the Lord's voice. But the enemy says, skin for skin. Job will deny you if you just take this away from him. Take his health away. And he's just whispering in Job's ear. Condemning accusation. The stranger speaks in questions like this. Did God really say? Let's open our mind here together. You, you've been kind of bottled up in the biblical worldview. Now let's take one step back and look at the bigger picture. Are there more options here? 
Well, to be closed-minded is to be a bigot. And so I don't want to be closed-minded, and so the enemy tempts us away. Let's, let's come over here and talk. I'm not asking you to believe, just listen to me. It's so dangerous. If you are really the son of God, then prove it. We're going to look at that here in a minute. And thirdly, the enemy, the stranger, speaks into slavery patterns and fear. Romans 8 and Galatians 4 tell us that we're no longer slaves, but we have the spirit of adoption. And Romans 8 says, we cry, Abba, Father. And Galatians 4 says, the spirit cries, Abba, Father. And so there's this harmony and this duet with our spirit and the Holy Spirit where we say, I'm your son. I'm no longer a slave. And the enemy wants us to believe it. Come with me and remember all you've done wrong and your continual backsliding and failures. And remember, you got to work your way back. I got to share the gospel with an employee a few weeks ago. I said, how are you doing in your heart? And he said, I'm going to church. I said, great. He said, uh, I've been going to church. I said, why are you doing that? He said, I'm just trying to work my way back to God, man. We've all talked to people like this. I got to share with him about Jesus worked his way towards him. He doesn't have his work his way towards God. Church is just something that we get to participate in because of what God did for us. There's no amount of work to get to the Lord. And we all know that's not right. You can't do that. But man, we buy into other lies, don't we, sometimes? We buy into other, like, self-performance and expectations and the enemy would just love to keep us there. Look with me in Luke chapter 3. We'll finish up with this here in a minute. This is the first voice that comes. This is the voice, I believe, that I want to press into and hear in the morning. I think it was Martin Luther said he wakes up in the morning with the devil sitting on his face. Sometimes I feel that way, but I got to press through. I got to fight through in the morning to hear this voice. And this is the voice in Luke 3, 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Take a moment, if you feel comfortable, close your eyes with me for a moment. And the Lord says to you, you are my son and my daughter, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. I think that's one of the hardest verses in the Bible to believe for me. I don't know why. I'm just confessing that it is. But really all my problems come from not believing that right there. As a believer, as a son and a daughter, if I don't really believe that first voice, I get really sidetracked. So that was the first voice that came. Now, Jesus Come, we go through Jesus' genealogy right after this, but really what you have to do is you have to jump from verse 22 of chapter 3 and you have to go to verse 1 of chapter 4. You are my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. Jumping right to, then Jesus, 
full of the Holy Spirit, because when I believe that line that's spoken over me, the Lord's sentences, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was being tempted by the devil. What do you think the devil's temptation was for Jesus? Well, it was over that verse two sentences ago. I'm going to attack the revelation that just came to you at the Jordan River. Everything that's about to come Jesus' way is an attack on his identity as a son. And look what he says. The devil, this is the second voice, this devil said to him, if you are the son of God, then what I want you to do is tell this stone to become bread. Second voice comes in and tempts him to the flesh. Remember, remember the world and everything in it that offers us lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life? Well, he starts off with the lust of the flesh. He's like, I want you to turn the stone into bread to feed your natural body. Jesus responds, it is written. I'm not going to give in to that. He steps back. He steps the devil back with the word of God. And then he goes after him and he leads him up on a high mountain and he shows him with his eyeballs all the kingdoms of the world. And he takes him, according to 1 John 2, the next step in there is to have the lust of the eyes. And he fills his eyes with the understanding of all that this world offers. And he says, I'll give it to you if you praise me from your soul. He's, he's, he's going after his emotions and his soul. And Jesus responds the same way. And then thirdly, the pride of life, he says, cast yourself off the temple and raise yourself up from the dead because you're just as powerful as God is. Be prideful, be raised up. And Jesus says, I will not take power unto myself. I rely on the Lord Jesus. So bread, praise, and power are all tempting Jesus away from his identity as a son. Jesus says, no, no, no. I don't have to prove that I am anything. I believe what I've already been told by the voice of my heavenly father. Jesus says, I don't have to prove it. I don't have to get out of this place. I will not move from his word. I am the beloved of God and he's already well pleased with me and I don't have to prove it to you or to anybody else. Man, I'm telling you, that's power that's released there. Something comes when I believe that, that then I believe opens my ear in a deeper way and I hear for other people, I can't speak to any of you all really clearly unless I'm free in and of myself as a son. Does that make sense? Like I can't speak a word of encouragement and building up to you really that well unless I'm encouraged myself and built up. This is where the rubber meets the road. Am I a son? Am I a daughter? Does he love me? Am I well at pleasing to him? Yes or no? And when I say yes to that, then nothing can move me and I actually release prophetic. I release blessing and encouragement on others. Whose am I? I'm his son. Who am I? I'm beloved. And how am I doing? He's well pleased with me. Doesn't mean he's not going after sin and conviction. He does that, but it's a loving voice of conviction. It's not a heavy-handed voice of condemnation. He's trying to get us to move. That second voice, the stranger comes in and he says, move, shift, get off of the platform of your sonship. Get over here and try to work back to it. And most of the time we're like, okay, 
because I'm seeing with my eyes and I'm not really acting that great now. So now I moved over here and I've got to try to work my way back in his good graces. And the Lord says, no, don't move. Stay right here. Believe. I'll fight for you. Let me read this over you. Zephaniah 3. The Lord your God is with you in your midst. The mighty warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness and joy, taking great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer forsake you. He'll make no mention of your past sins, but instead, he rejoices over you with dancing, with singing, and with shouts of joy. Boy, that verse takes a little while to soak in, doesn't it? How can this be true? I'm a mess up. I got problems. <laughs> How can you love me the same way you love your son? How can you rejoice over me with gladness? And how can you say, take such great delight in me? Because he loves me, he no longer rebukes me. He no longer makes mention of my past sins. But instead, it's not that he's just quiet. and He's not like, we're not going to talk about it. He's like, let's dance. I want to rejoice over you. You have no idea. Dick said this the other night. You can't even fathom my love for you. This type of stuff just sets us free, guys. When I hear that voice, I can speak into people's lives. When I know how much I'm loved, I can release the love of the Father. And so can you. So guys, we need more of the prophetic in our midst. And where it starts is we have to go back and listen to that first voice. Can you hear it? Can you take a moment with me? Just, let's just pause. Can you hear it? What does the Lord say into your heart now? Just listen with your heart. Lord, speak. Speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit. 